We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Tuesday, the 22nd day of February, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams. Bruce, it's good to see you. How was your weekend? Uh, pretty good. Uh, you know, healthy alive. Um, nothing, you know, nothing really exciting or amazing happened. Um, Until now. weekend. Until now. Well, in, in this part of the country, there's there's not anything going on in this part of the world. No, 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 um, no, no. In eastern Ukraine, there's some exciting stuff going on over there. Haven't you heard? The thing is, though, about Ukraine and that whole situation, Americans may have an opinion on it and, you know, think it's but really it doesn't affect our daily life. And I don't think Americans really I don't think they really care. Oh, but they should. I mean, that sounds they cold, should. but... All NATO countries are now condemning what has just happened in eastern Ukraine, and we have to go to war now, don't don't you see? Uh, yeah, I would rather us, I don't know, fix things on the home front, you know? Uh, we, we, we're, gas prices are skyrocketing. The Biden administration is saying no more drilling um, for new... No new drilling for oil and gas, which is a problem when you have gas prices rising. You have a border uh, crisis going on. You have a tons of um, fentanyl and all the opioids uh, coming across the border illegally. Um, you you have a supply chain crisis. Well, now, um, see, there, you, you have there's excuses for all this. You, you've got the the new crack pipe and clean needle program that's on the horizon for the Biden administration. So that's going to be taken care of. That problem will take care of itself. Uh, and then you've got. Uh, Do you say something about the border? I, I I don't know. I mean, Vice President Harris was supposed to go down there and make sure that it was all taken care of. And Biden went through there in 2008. So everything right. down there is fine. And then something about supply chain crisis. Look, the, the president cleared that one up, too. He said the supply chain was at 91 percent before COVID-19, and it's at 87 percent now. So you see, there's only a few percentage points that we're off by. So see, excuses are already there for all of these things. You, you've already got explanations for all of this stuff. Mm. Except the average American is finding it difficult to get things like milk, eggs, chicken, you know, those kind of basic things. Yeah. And there's shortages going on. Fresh fruits and vegetables is also apparently there's some kind of avocado shortage, uh, something or another. Basically, there was a um, an altercation between um, um, some delivery driver or something and the um, I don't know if it was border or customs or something, uh, whatever it was. But anyway, see, he apparently was mean. So because of that altercation, um, we are now um, basically stopping avocado shipments from Mexico into the so U.S. Because two guys got in a fight for something, we're stopping yes. avocado import and exports yes. in yes. the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. What are we, five? Yeah. He he stole my milk. He stole my lunch money. Uh, so yeah. we're going to shut it all down now. Yep. No, that's basically what it sounds like is going wow. on. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. Uh, okay. So, yeah. So, uh, look, I, I'm not going to pay too much attention to this, but you had two eastern Ukrainian territories secede from Ukraine this evening. The uh, Bruce, you got the names of those two uh, those two areas? 
Donsk was was one of them. I'm sure Crimea is going to be mixed up in there. They didn't officially do it, but uh, and then we've got the other one. I can't Lushenk or something. No, yeah, it was uh, Donsk and uh, Luhansk. Luhansk, that's it. Yeah, Luhansk, you got it. That's it. Well, that's what it is in English. It's it's something else in in, in Russian. It's just yeah, it's it's strange. But anyway, uh, Vladimir Putin has recognized both of the independence of these regions. Uh, they're being referred to as the DPR and the LPR regions. Uh, the separatist leaders were in the room at the. I believe this is at the Kremlin. I could be mistaken, but uh, Vladimir Putin has addressed the uh, the Russian nation this evening. Uh, he did have this to say, uh, and then we're going to move on. In this regard, I deem it necessary to make a decision that should have been made long time ago to immediately recognize the independence and sovereignty of Donetsk People's Republic and Lugansk People's Republic. So again, that was uh, through a translator, but uh, you, you get the idea. That was actually him saying it. So in uh, his office has just put out, uh, excuse me, that oh, yeah, the office of the president of the Russian Federation has just put out the following statements. President Putin has ordered Russian armed forces to enter rebel territories in eastern Ukraine for, quote, peacekeeping operations. And of course, there's fireworks and uh, parades, waving independence flags, flying all the way through these cities. You know what? I I don't really I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I don't really think you can actually just go about just outright declaring independence in a territory like that uh, without having some kind of a vote. You can't just up and have half of a country say, uh, so yeah, we're sorry, we're not going to be part of this anymore, and then just declare independence with no vote from the people. Y- you can't actually do that, but they're just doing it. But we're trying to figure out, and we were kind of wargaming here uh, this evening on on what exactly it is that's happening here. And we're, we're trying to look at it from both sides. So you've got the West and NATO that have been trying to poke the Russian bear, shall we say. They've been trying to provoke Putin into a conflict, and Putin hasn't given them that. But on the other side of things, now Putin has the ability to step away from the situation and still get what he wants. That definitely seems like what's going on. This is this is technically a violation of international law. You can't you can't just say um, we're seceding and um, you know now we're becoming um, a, a part of another country. You, there there has to be a vote and an agreement between the two countries that um, you know this transition is going to happen. Otherwise, it's um, you know, illegal. And as you said, I, I think this is this is what it's intended to be as a provocation. They're, the the Russians are trying to get the West to be the aggressor because they have um, agreements with various countries over there that if the West is the aggressor, they get to come in and, and defend them. Uh-huh. Vice versa, it's the same way with Ukraine. If, and it gives China uh, Russia a pass. is the aggressor. It gives, it gives China, China a pass, a pass yes. on Taiwan. Yes. Um, so. The, that's the other thing is this is going to be kind of a diversion thing. Everybody's going to be focused on uh, Ukraine and what's going on there. And I'm not sure China's not going to use this um, opportunity as everything. All the assets are focused on Ukraine and, and doing stuff in Ukraine. I'm not sure China's not going to go, hey, surprise, we took Taiwan. It would not surprise me one bit if they tried to do something like that. And the thing is, is because of the size of China versus Taiwan, it would, I mean, it, it, it's like a three day. It's a three-day thing. 
to, to go in and, and take it over. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Yes and no. I, I, I agree with you. It would be it would be a pushover if they had if they had no support. But you're forgetting one one thing there. I'm not talking about the, the U.S. assets we have over there. I'm talking about Japan. Japan would step in. Japan has a treaty obligation to protect Taiwan. And so do we and so do the Australians. Do I see the United States and the Australians fulfilling that part of the treaty? I Honestly, I would like to sit here and say yes. I really would. And it pains me to, to say what I'm about to say. But quite frankly, I'm not too impressed by what I see coming out of the United States government, out of the United States military, and out of the Australian government over the last two years. Quite frankly, judging by that, and I hope that I'm wrong, judging by that, I'd say they're looking to tuck tail and run here and leave the Japanese holding the bag. Now, again, I hope that I'm wrong. I I hope that I am. But what other assumption would you come to? Could uh, the Japanese, could they round up quick enough before the damage is already done? Here's Uh, the thing. The the Japanese are... The, the Japanese, uh, they, have a very, they have a very bad history with not just the Chinese, but the Russians. They don't get along at all. The Japanese naval fleet, I wish Marty was in here to talk on this. The Japanese naval fleet, that's no slouch. They are quite uh, advanced. As a matter of fact, two of the heaviest, the, excuse me, two of the, well, two of the heaviest and hardest hitting warships in the world belong to the Japanese naval fleet. China's not technically supposed to have a blue water navy they're not technically supposed to have that i think <laughs> technically japan's not either but yeah, well yeah but they kind of they kind of have to J- japan does but anyway the japanese they have the ability to sink the entire south china sea fleet of china within 48 hours by themselves that's my understanding of it. I could be mistaken, but that was the last that I heard of it from a, uh, a naval warfare strategist about a year ago when he was sizing up the Japanese fleet versus the uh, uh, the Chinese naval fleet. What importance does Japan have to, uh, or excuse me, what importance Yeah, is Japan to China? To China or to Taiwan? China. What importance are they? Yeah. If you're, if you're the uh, CCP head and you're looking at controlling the world, what importance does a small island country what do they have? They don't have any natural resources that you want. No, they don't. Other than business. Uh-huh. So what importance does it have? So let's, uh, basically what I'm getting at, th- this is what I'm getting at. If you go in and uh, uh, to take Taiwan, they've already alluded to this anyway, and uh, Japan's like, nah, you're not going to do that, and they bring in their fleet. Well, if I'm a Chinese dictator, um, Japan, you have nothing I want in this world domination scenario. I will glass your island unless you step Which down. Is what they've threatened to do twice now was that. Yeah. So as a dictator, um, uh, really, Japan doesn't really. Yes, they could probably sink their fleet in 48 hours. I don't disagree with that. Doesn't matter. You could have your entire civilian civilian populace turned into ash within seconds. So and the thing is, is if they really do have the hypersonic technology, Russia and China, as they claim they do, um, there, there is no stopping those missiles. You will not stop that from happening. And if it's, um, uh, I believe it's solid rocket fuel uh, is difficult to detect anyway. Uh, so if they happen to send a ballistic missile over or a couple, I mean, hell, even if they were just to hit Tokyo. Um, well, that's that's a few million people right there. Yeah, it would be it would be game over. Like China would. Uh, basically when Taiwan and Japan would essentially be immobilized. They, they, so I, I basically what I'm getting at, I, I, if 
China is truly going after Taiwan and they're they're going to go after it. Um, I, I think that's a very real possibility. They would nuke Japan. That's an interesting play. But again, I mean, using nukes at this point, that's that's just going to green light the, you know, the, the table for everybody else to use them uh, at this point as well. So, I mean, we're talking about a lot of uh, a lot of collateral damage here. Uh, so, I mean, that's worst case scenario, obviously, I, I think. But I don't put it past a, a cornered rat, to be honest. Russia and China both are massive countries. I mean, you could hit population centers and whatnot, but really the 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 ones you would be with China the ones you want to go after is the CCP if you right. go and nuke their country uh, it's not going to do you any good like in honestly in the long run if 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 China were to nuke Japan and the rest of the world was like okay yeah now you're open to be nuked and they try to nuke them they're effectively shooting themselves in the foot when 20% of the world's manufacturing is coming out of China right um which they don't yeah. even care about we're not getting consumer goods from China anymore uh i mean there's still a lot of products that around the market that are made in China. That's true. So but the cargo ships, we're still we're dealing with supply line issues. The, the cargo ships, yeah. are they just moved them 50 miles offshore. And the and the ports that are in uh, that are in China, a lot of those are shut down because of uh, covid cases, asymptomatic covid cases. So they've shut all the ports down. So there's no ships being loaded. There's no exports coming in or going out. So what are they doing? If that's the case, then what are they doing? They were selling their products to the world, but this begs the question. It makes people wonder, myself included, and I've heard many geopolitical strategists asking the same question, have they turned their economy from manufacturing goods into a military economy? As in, are they building ships? Are they building an air force? Are they building... Military goods in general. Yeah. 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 You need the industrial base. You need the manufacturing base below it in order to be able to turn yourself into a military economy. That's what the Germans did during World War II to create the mechanized warfare. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It wouldn't surprise me because it would cause two things. Economic warfare, because as we said, 20% of the economy, the world's economy, as far as manufactured goods comes from China. If you're looking at trying to hurt other countries, stop stop sending stuff over to them and then on top of that start manufacturing military goods i mean it it fits something they would do uh whether or not they're doing that obviously we're not going to be able to know unless there's defectors or you know something like that and of course if you're a chinese defector right now would you really go to the u.s my god we turn them back over with the justice department and the people we and the buffoons we got working in the administration now that's a good point. I'm not sure where you would go if you were a Chinese defector. I what don't would know you where really you would defect for? Japan, like maybe? Anybody that you would, any place in, in the U.S. that you would defect to, you know they're going to tell them everything that they're debriefed on. Of course they are. Well, the other thing is, is as I continue to go through the list of World Economic Forum uh, Young Global Leaders, there is a lot of people from the People's Republic of China that attended those, uh-huh. uh, you know, young global leaders. Uh-huh. So, you know what? I'm I'm I, I'm wondering. I don't, I, I don't think that that's what people think it is. But go on. Yeah, go ahead. So we were talking about how Klaus Schwab and them are probably just dupes of the uh, Chinese and a lot of the Western world are just dupes of them. OK, so a dupe would imply that they have their own agenda and they're trying to use China. But in the process, they're being used. I don't think it's that anymore. Because with as many people as have gone through this World Economic Forum that are Chinese or um, and the and the I'm almost it. What if this entire scenario? What if this entire thing is literally uh, the Fourth Reich, but instead of Germany, it's China? Some people speculate and they're not. They're not a dupe. 
Yeah, so, some people speculate that that it is what you're talking about. It's still the central banking cartels that are that are behind it that are enabling China. But to be honest with you, looking at the Marxist ideology, no matter what side it comes from, I, I know that people have been calling uh, Trudeau uh, Hitler. I personally think that that's incorrect. When you start down that road, let's be honest here, there's plenty of blame and plenty of comparisons you can actually make. But to go down that road, you're actually playing into their hand when you start going into that realm of, well, uh, he's a fascist or he's a uh, he's a Marxist or he's a communist or whatever. You're playing into their hand when you do that. They need the dialectic. They need you to shout down the other side so they can sit there and call you a political extremist. Do you remember what Trudeau was trying to do in that parliament when the opposition, the conservative opposition member who was Jewish and a member of the LGBT community stood up and called out the prime minister for being a hypocrite, asking when did he change? When did he change so abruptly? What did Trudeau immediately do? Like any Marxist would do, he stood up and said, the opposition can stand with swastikas and Confederate flags, immediately putting them on the other end of the political spectrum to have an opposition to create the dialectic. You need the dialectic under Marxism of the opposite extreme. Understand, it's all Marxism. All authoritarianism, all collectivism that we deal with all comes from Marxism. As a matter of fact, we were going back before we started tonight and we were reviewing some passages out of Rise and Fall of the Third Reich to try and make comparisons. That's a historical document. We're trying to make the comparisons. We're trying to make the connections and see the historical relevance to it. It's very important to understand where we are in history. We're living history right now. History is written by the victors. Well, unfortunately, the people that are in the seats of power right now, uh, God help us if they are the victors, because our history will be, I don't, I don't even want to think about it. Well, I mean, it's already being rewritten live. Yeah, in real as time. We, yeah. As we speak. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, in real time. But getting back to, uh, get, getting back to, and I didn't mean to drift off to that, but that's a, that's a very important point if you consider this. I don't necessarily think that China is, okay, yes, I, I agree with, with your, your side of things. I, I do. I, I agree with that. I agree with uh, the, the, the idea that the central banks are behind the rise of China. Of course they are. I understand that. But I also understand the different flavor of Maoist Marxism. It is utterly ruthless and cutthroat. Of course, the Marxists, no matter who they are, communists especially, they will use people. Remember, hardcore, ironclad revolutionaries, man, they've, they've got some of the best and some of the most hardened mental discipline that you will ever encounter. But they're lazy. You say, wait a minute, you just said that they've got some of the best mental discipline. They do, but they're lazy. Physically, they're lazy. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean if they're lazy? That means in order for you to facilitate and to continue the revolution, you have to get someone to do your work. You have to be the organizer. You're going to facilitate the revolution. What better way to implant party members in an organization to take it over? So I agree that, yes, you have them working together, but at the same time, I think you have the usurpers that are in the process of being usurped, if that makes any sense. At the end of the day, the Chinese Communist Party will take down the Western capitalists if they are allowed to succeed and continue further. They will do it, especially by embedding all implanting themselves in all of these organizations. As sure as the sun came up this morning, you can bet that they will take these people down. You can't have an agreement 
You can't have any kind of opposition whatsoever when you have a Marxist party involved. It doesn't work like that. Even if it's a moderate Marxist party, do you think the Chinese, do you think the Chinese Communist Party more specifically, do you think they are going to allow a bunch of Western Klaus Schwab types be in charge of a social credit system? You think they're going to allow that? Oh, they might for a time just to get the infrastructure in place and to get access to the systems and services. But that's not going to continue forever. They'll knock them out of the box. They'll put them out of the way. That's what they do when you get to a certain level of this game that they're playing. It's backdoor deals. It's political power plays against each other. And these people in the West, these so-called elites that they call themselves, I think they're losers, but they think that they can make the political power plays against the Far East type of Marxism. They can't do it. They don't have that type of mentality. Oh, they're evil. Make no mistake about that. But they're not that kind of evil. They're not that special kind of evil. At least not that I think so. Now, let's look at Klaus Schwab for a second. A lot of people, you, you hear this term thrown around a lot. Oh, he's a neo-Nazi sociopath. He's a, he's a psychotic, whatever. Yes, he is a psychotic. Do I think he's a Nazi? No, I don't. I've never thought that. Does he have Nazi ties in his family? Yes. Does that make him one? Not really. I mean, you can't. You, you can't. I mean, hell, the uh, what's her name? The Carista Freeland or whatever her name is for uh, uh, the deputy uh, prime minister in, in Canada. You know, the one that seized all the bank accounts, that lady. Her maternal grandfather was one of the propaganda ministers underneath Goebbels. You couldn't make that up. That's verified. She's even admitted it. Does that make her of that same ideology? No, but... Looking at Schwab, because he's he's the face of it all, right? Here in the West, he, he's the face of it all. He's he's kind of had to come out of his shell and dress like a uh, dress like a Romulan or a Klingon or whatever the hell he is, run around in his little outfit there. But when you look at the videos of him sitting in his office, I don't think he's a, a neo-Nazi fascist, whatever in the hell at all. I don't think he is. The man has a bust of Vladimir Lenin in his office. Well, that doesn't fit too well if you're a Nazi, does it? No. It fits well to Bolshevism. And if you were to look at what we've seen over the last two years, I'd say that's more akin to Bolshevism. That's what they did. They took key points in governments. Remember, the most important thing is that we penetrated the cabinets. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But they take little groups in little portions of each cabinet in each capital city. Remember, the Bolshevik Revolution was not this glorious uh, whatever in the hell they, they make it out to be. That's not what it was. The Bolshevik Revolution was funded by finance capital out of New York. How do you think they were able to do that? How do you think they were able to, to continue to fund that? With the help of a man named Joseph Stalin along the way, he used to rob banks. He was one of the old Bolsheviks. Revolutions cost money. But the glorious revolution that they tell you about in the history books of the Bolshevik Revolution, 1,200 people took over two towns and shot three people. It took them five years to take over the entire country of Russia. It's one of the largest landmass on the planet. It took them five years to do that. They didn't just seize power overnight. All these key sections in all these governments around the world that they're trying to hold simultaneously, they didn't get all of the governments, did they? No, they didn't. They got the main ones. Elite capture, learn the term. They went in and they bought off all the leadership. They compromised all the leadership of all of our countries under the radar. They undermined our democratic processes for the better part of three decades without us knowing, without some of us knowing. And they're able to do this. Me personally, I think that this is more akin to what we saw during the Bolshevik Revolution than what we saw under uh, what you saw under Nazism. Now, it has tendencies. Again, we were reviewing the rise and fall of the Third Reich tonight before we started. 
and the similarities of declaring states of emergency and what they've done in all these countries to seize power, that plays, doesn't it? So I don't think he's a, a necessarily Schwab, this whole thing. I agree with you. Um, I don't think it's uh, they're fascists or uh, they're going for the Nazi style of things. However, I do think it's a mix of fascism and, uh, well, Marxism in general. I think I think it's being... Yeah you know, mixed together and they're trying to make a new system. Well, remember, um, remember the, all the top Nazis, when they brought in that that system, that that radical ideology into into Europe, that was all based on Marxism. They were all Marxists too. remember the Nazi movement didn't start as the Nazi movement. It started as a rival Marxist party called the German Workers Party. That was a rival Marxist party to the German Communist Party. This is mainline history. It's very important to understand. They knew they couldn't gain the support of the people unless they made it about national pride. They had to change. But remember, it was a rival left-wing Marxist party. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought we should make that point clear. Yeah. So... Well, and the other thing is, is technically you could argue that they're trying to do that again in other countries to create a fascist uh, nationalistic system. I mean, you know, uh, but that said, I'm leaning more towards like looking into some of this stuff and everything. I, I'm I'm curious as to how much of, yes, we created the um, uh, China that that China is today. Right. We, we empowered them to become this. But I'm curious how much of it was really. Were these people that empowered China to become what they are, were they Marxists that agreed with the same ideology of Maoism and are trying to basically empower China to take the reins or to uh, push the world into a Marxist system using that? Basically, what I'm getting at is I'm not entirely sure that though it looks like they were trying to use China to institute this, I'm not entirely sure they weren't like <laughs> ran by China, if you will. I'm not sure Swab and and company hasn't taken the knee to China already, and they're they're just oh his excellency uh, pawns. Xi Jinping of China, remember? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm not sure that it's uh they're a dupe and they're you know they they've fallen uh, victim to something China's done. I think it's more of a they've willfully bowed the knee, bent the knee to them. Mm -hmm. And see, this is the kind of stuff we've been talking about the uh, the massive protests that have been happening in Germany because of all the COVID stuff. But see, it's about more than that. It is about more than that. COVID was the spark that just lit this bonfire that's happening here. This is the kind of sign. I know that you, the listener, you can't see this. I will be posting this up on our uh, on our Telegram page for those of you who are subscribed to us there. But Bruce, I thought you would uh, I thought you would get a kick out of this. And this goes along with exactly what we're sitting here discussing. It just so happens that these were the signs that were being waved all throughout Frankfurt, Germany on Saturday of this uh, this past weekend. Now, it says here, uh, if you if you look uh, over on the other side, it's very small print. It says this is very important to understand. It says Nazis were on the left, National Socialists. They were on the left. They weren't on the far right, as the left would have you believe. They were on the left. It was a rival Marxist party. Remember that. Socialists are on the left. Global socialists are on the left. Green parties are on the left. Antifa is on the left. Communists are on the left. Dictators are on the left. And the left parties, obviously, they're on the left. Underneath of that, it says, do you realize what just happened here? Yeah, I, I agree. Also, I wanted to point out, um, they, they have Antifa licking the boot. Uh, it's a <laughs> black leather boot. <laughs> I, I want to point boot, out. Just tell them what it says on the boot. Uh, well, you'll you'll have to you'll have to help with that one because uh, okay. it uh, says 
Yeah, I got it. Big, it says yeah, yeah. on the side of the boot, it says Big Pharma, Gavi, which is the Ga uh, the Global Vaccine Alliance, uh, whatever it is, Global Alliance for Vaccine Initiative, Vaccination to Equal Transhumanism, which Klaus Schwab openly talks about, The Great Reset, Globalization, Angela Merkel, <laughs> Wall Street, The New Normal, Security, State Freedom, ID2020, and Total Surveillance. Yeah, so that's all on the side of the boot. But I, I think what the boot represents is more important. If any of you were to take a moment and Google search the brown shirts uniform, that boot looks very familiar. Doesn't it now? Yeah. So anyway, as we've said before, though, here for the US, the left and the right are the same coin. They're the opposite sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. So the left is on the left uh, with these parties. The right is right there with them. They just play as if they're not. When in reality, they're all playing the same game behind the scenes. The rest of it is just political theater for you and I. But let's not move too far off of this. Okay. Now, Klaus Schwab, do you remember what he said in 2017? Yeah, everybody remembers that at, at Harvard University. We've played the clip here before. We're going to do it again. He said this. Now, the, the original audio, there's a lot of crackling and stuff, and we've cut that out. So just bear that in mind. But this, this is Klaus Schwab at Harvard University 2017. Listen to this in his own words. And I have to say, um, when I mention our names, like this Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation, like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Pres of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was at a, at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world. Great. And that's true in Argentina. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. That's true in Argentina as well. It's true in Argentina and uh, it's true in France now. Mm -hmm. I mean, with the president, with a young global leader. But what is important for me? So you get the idea, right? Klaus Schwab literally sitting there on stage saying that he was at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau. And he says, what's very important is that we've penetrated the cabinets. And he says, I know that we have more than half of this cabinet for our plan. Not what the people want, but for our plan. This exact point was brought up by a constituent who contacted their MP in Canada, and the MP put it to the speaker to ask this very question. This was the response he got. Honorable member for Oshawa. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I listened to my call. Speech. I had a constituent that wanted me to ask a question about outside interference to our democracy. Klaus Schwab is the head of the World Economic Forum, and he bragged how his subversive WWF World Economic Forum has quoted infiltrated governments around the world. He said that his organization had penetrated more than half of Canada's cabinet. And I was wondering, in the interest of transparency, could the member please name 
which cabinet ministers are on board with the WEF's agenda? My concern is the deputy. Uh, order, order, order. I, I know he was. I know the, uh, the member was in a, a really good good question there, but the the, the audio is really really bad and the video is really really bad as well. Um, and I and I and I apologize. I don't know if if the member. Okay, uh, let's let's uh, let's try again. The honor the. the the Honourable Member for Timmins James Bay. Mr. Speaker, that member is promoting open disinformation. That's not debate. We have to call out disinformation. Uh, we'll get into debate again. Uh, the Honourable Member, uh, questions and comments, the Honourable Member for Lambton, Kent Middlesex. Right, let's just move on. Yeah, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Bruce, what do you think of that? Uh, first of all, he said there was audio issues and whatnot. Uh, that sounded pretty crystal clear uh, for a Skype call or a Zoom call. That, uh -huh. that was... Uh, very his, clear. His video was clear as well. You could see it on a monitor on the on the corner. Of the, yeah, uh, the row there. As yeah. Well. Uh, so what what he brought up there was a bunch of BS. Um, that it it didn't come through. We we just couldn't hear you. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that's that's They're they're trying to hide the fact that they're associated now. They don't want you to know how deep this really goes. And I mean. I don't know what to say to it. I'm not surprised that, you know, governments are corrupt. Wow. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed Western governments are corrupt? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, man, whew, could have pulled the wool over my eyes, man. It just so happens that I can answer that question that the uh, other MP there didn't uh, have the answers to. I just so happen to have the answers that he's looking for. I have the cabinet members that are on the uh, the payroll of the WEF. Uh, let's just go over those names, shall we? Justin Trudeau, Prime Minister of Canada, obviously. I'm Carista Freeland, Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of Finance. Katrina Gould, Minister of Families, Children and Social Development. Uh, I'm going to kind of shorten these titles up a little bit because some of them are just ridiculously long. Francois-Philippe Champagne, uh, Minister of Innovation, Science, Industry, Innovation of Science and Economic Development. Alish Campbell, Canada's Ambassador to the EU. Alyssa Goldberg, Assistant Deputy Prime Minister, Assistant Deputy Minister for Strategic Policy, Global Affairs of Canada, which is the State Department that they have. Renee Maria Tamberlay, Senior Counsel to the Supreme Court of Canada, and uh, Yamit Singh, Leader of the New Democratic Party, whose party has been in lockstep with Trudeau and his party during the entire pandemic. Those are just the ones that we know of. What was so difficult yeah, the, about answering uh, that question? Yeah, well, I, I that list may be a little bit longer, too, uh, because, well, I'm maybe halfway through the list or so. I only have 600 and some names out of 1,200. But so far of those lists, um, there's 22 individuals that are from Canada. Now, I'd have to go through and look at each 22 to verify that they're a part of the, the government, but they're all associated with either finance side of things or they're with the government themselves. So, And check this one out. Uh, Canada moves to make asset freezing under the Emergencies Act permanent. Yes, because they have to control. They have to grab power. As, as we were talking, you, you have to have that dialectic, but at the same time, it has to be controlled. You have to have controlled opposition. So they have to be allowed to, you know, show that they're radicals and whatnot, but then they have to be under your control as well. And then when it comes time that you have the Knight of Long Knives, you can execute. You know, these these people that are uh, that are the ones that have been bought off and, and compromised by Klaus and his uh, his gang of thieves. You have to understand something. These people that are in our governments, these are the traitors inside the gates to use an old medieval uh, warfare term here. These are the ones that are getting rid of the people to lower the drawbridge to allow the enemy army to come in. 
And for those that are foolish enough to do that and follow along with that, understand something. Understand something. You are the first ones that that invading army puts to the sword. I hope you understand what you're getting yourself into. You're on the wrong side of history if you're in that bureaucracy or you're in one of these offices. But to be honest, I don't think they even care at this point. I don't think they even care. I don't know what it is, whether you've you've sold your soul to... Um, to Lucifer himself or, or what, but there's some mechanism within their heads, and I'm not a psychologist, I don't understand it, but there's some mechanism within their heads that don't allow them to turn back now. They're committed. This is Trudeau, and when I say they're committed, listen to this. This is Trudeau on how the emergency, to Bruce's point, the emergency must now continue. As I said, the Emergencies Act is not something to undertake lightly. And it's something that needs to be momentary, temporary, and proportional. That's why every single day I'm receiving briefings and we are reflecting on how much longer the Emergencies Act needs to be in place. We don't want to keep it in place a single day longer than necessary. Oh, yes, you do. But even though uh, the blockades are lifted uh, across border uh, openings right now, uh, even though uh, things seem to be resolving very well in Ottawa, this state of emergency is not over. Uh, there continues to be real concerns uh, about the coming days, uh, but we will continue to evaluate every single day uh, whether or not uh, it is uh, time and we are able to lift this state of emergency. What about the state of emergency of you people seizing power illegally and violating the Constitution of Charter Rights in Canada and the Canadian citizens? What about that? What about the illegal blockades that you as the government up there and the governments around the world, as far as I'm concerned, put on the businesses and the people to live their lives. I'd call that a blockade, wouldn't you? Of the highest order. Yeah. Um, this is the same level of stuff, uh, you know, the blockades and everything. It's the same level of stuff that we're seeing with Russia trying to uh, provoke the West. Uh, it's kind of the same ideology, kind of the same tactic, if you will. They're trying to instigate the, the right. Or those that, not even necessarily the right, just those that believe in the Constitution or whatever, you know, uh, founding document your country has, whether it be a Constitution or, you know, just laws in general. They're trying to invoke some kind of response and they're instigating, poking, prodding, as you said, same with Russia. They're trying to get the West to uh, be the aggressor. That's the same thing they're trying to do here. They're trying to get these protesters to be the aggressor. They want them to, to make the take the first action so that they can justify these executive orders, these these actions that they're taking, emergency actions. So yeah, just keep that in mind if you're one of these protesters that's uh, listening. Yeah, uh, stomping on people uh, with a horse. It really shows that those people, they got stomped on, they're the aggressors, you see. Which makes me wonder, are those actually RCMPs? We were wondering this before we started. There's UN planes on the tarmacs in Canada. There's Bombardier jets on the tarmacs with UN tags on them. What are they doing there? They can easily seat how many people? Uh, depends on the t style of aircraft. I was having difficulty narrowing it down, but if it's the, what was it, a bomb, Bombardier bomb, something? Bombardier, yeah. Uh, yeah, French, whatever, yeah. 5,000 or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. If it's one of those, it, it only houses like 30 people or something like that. If it's one just of those. Enough, just enough for a paramilitary group that doesn't speak any English, that are all balaclavaed up to stand in front of a line down mm -hmm. there with sticks and beat on people. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's possible because there was two of them. So you could uh-huh. easily have 60 people there. You have 60 people in there, which um, is about what they got yeah. in there. Yeah. But anyway, back to the seizure of, uh, of funds. This was uh, one of the uh, one of the truckers in uh, in Ottawa who was speaking to, I don't know who this is on, uh, on Fox News, but uh, this was what he had to say, what's been done to him. Over the weekend, they fired tear gas. They threw dozens of vehicles to shut down the trucker protests against COVID restrictions. Uh, one of those truckers is Derek Brower, says his personal and business accounts were frozen because he was part of it. He joins me now. Derek, good morning to you. What have you gone through and what's your status today? Good morning. 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 Um, well, we, uh, yeah, as you know, we went in the protest and uh, the police waved us into that, into that parking spot. And uh, since then, I haven't heard any, anything from them or the government as per se. Um, and in the end of it all, they've, uh, they've taken my truck. I don't know where it is. And uh, yeah, they, on Friday, they uh, locked up my personal and trucking business accounts and I had a little so. bit of a breakup there with the end, Eric. I'm sorry, but they, they locked up your trucking accounts, which means you can't work. Yeah. Is that right? That's right. And then also we have another business and they locked that account up too. And it had nothing to do with it. Unbelievable. Wow. Oh, oh, oh. Um, man, I'm sorry what you're going through. It, is this all over now? Is it done? I don't know. I don't know where, I don't know anything. Nobody's called me or said what's going to happen in the future. Um, I don't know. What's- I have, who do you reach out to? What information have they given you about your your accounts and your, your business? Well, I, uh, on my account, when I called uh, my uh, the local branch, they, they gave me a phone number and uh, I called it this morning. And it was just a, uh, it was someone higher up in the bank, which probably won't be working till tomorrow because we're on a holiday today. Um, so basically the bank has shut it down and I, I haven't been contacted by anybody. Um, so as far as I know, I don't know what's going to happen next. Uh, do you know how many people in your same situation, Derek? And that's it. That's it. You uh, you were out there and, uh, well, uh, you stand up for your freedom. You're going to have everything you own taken from you. Of course, you're going to have everything you own taken from you anyway, because that's what the Great Reset's all about. It doesn't matter if you're a trucker, if you're a uh, if you're a, a custodian, it doesn't matter if you're a construction worker, if you're a warehouse worker, if you're a, a person checking out people at a grocery store. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care if you work at a bank. They don't care if you work at a pharma company. They don't care if you work at a tech company. They don't care. You will own nothing and you will be happy about it. Canada is the start of it. You stood up, you pissed them off, and now they're going to ratchet down on you even harder. This is what's in the cards for everybody. Do you understand? Everybody. Also, this is uh, social credit. This is literally if you're a dissenter or you go against uh, the government's narrative, you will have your bank accounts locked out. You will have your property seized. And it goes even further if you're part of like, uh, for example, in China, um, you get shamed, you get doxxed. I mean, there, there's all kinds of stuff that happens. Uh, you're not able to do business in certain locations, uh, schooling, education, those kind of things for you or your kids, uh, so on and so forth. This basically they upturn, they they just uproot your life, and um, this is this is the new norm they're trying to push. 
this is what they want. I want to play a clip here of a uh, European Parliament member. This is the same guy you and I listened to earlier, Bruce, but it's um, he's talking about Trudeau and his actions. Uh, this is Romanian MEP uh, Christian Teres, I, I think is his name. I, I, I'm sorry if I if I got that wrong, but uh, we played him once before talking about the uh, about the protests that were happening across Europe. This was his comment about Justin Trudeau speaking in the European Parliament. And what the Prime Minister of Canada, the way he's behaving right now, he's exactly like a tyrant, like a dictator. He's like Ceausescu in Romania. If even you doubt, if you raise doubts about the vaccines, you're outcasted. What's the difference between what he does and what happened under the Inquisition? See, on one side they say, well, we should not believe in God, but on the other side they say, believe in science. We don't have to. Science is not about belief. Science, science is about measurements, conclusions, hypotheses, and arguments. We got to a point right now where even if you say something, if you raise any doubts, you're already considered, you know, as whatever, you know, they label you in very different ways. This is not okay. And I have to tell you, you know, that I, when I saw the protests in Canada, you know, the way the truckers over there <coughs> reacted, you know, I got in touch with some of them, others contacted me, I congratulated them, and I want to use this opportunity to thank them. And I hope this movement for freedom and for rights is spreading all around the world, because at the end of the day, we have to make sure that all these elected officials, they understand that they were elected in those offices to work for the people, not to behave like masters of slaves. Thank you. Now, I'm just curious, Bruce, is he a head of state? A head of state? What do you yeah. mean? Like, Does he uh, a head government? of state of any? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously he's from Romania. Is he the Romanian president? Well, I mean, he's you uh, parliament. I don't know if he's yeah, the... Yeah. No, no, no. He's not yeah. the Romanian president. Is he the president of any Western nation, as near as you can tell? Mm -hmm. No. However, he is saying what leaders of Western nations should be saying, but they're not. Have you noticed that? Where's the Biden administration? Where's Biden himself condemning what Trudeau is doing? Where's Scholz in Germany or Macron of France or Nehammer in Austria or Draghi in Italy or Johnson of the UK, just to name a few? Where are they? They're, no, no, no. Uh, they're, they're on a more pressing matter right now uh, involving Ukraine and Russia. Right, right. Where is any Western leader to criticize and call out this little bastard son of Castro? Where's anybody to condemn him for what's being done up there in Canada, of all places? Canada? The Canadians are being treated like this? I can understand the Americans. I mean, we were born out of revolution. I get it. We've always had a tough way of doing things. But the Canadians? The Canadians dared stand up, and this is the reaction you get, and no one condemns it? Why aren't they condemning it? I'll tell you why they're not condemning it. Because they want to do it themselves. All right, uh, we'll go ahead and kick out of here a few minutes early. Uh, do you have anything else that you, uh, you'd like to bring up? Uh, I, d I just want to reiterate that uh, government's bad, okay? And um, it's just <laughs> the, the depth of corruption that's going on right now in all Western governments, uh, the depth of criminal involvement. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm just, it's staggering. It's staggering. I know it was bad, but, oof. and the thing is, is it's not just, it's not just our governments now. It's banks, large corporations, businesses, they're all over. Yeah. And the number keeps rising. Because as I formulate that list that I was talking about with all the young global uh, leaders, that list keeps getting longer. When I first started, it was 96 pages plus one. 
uh, yeah, there was one person on the next page. Now we're at 98 pages. It's growing by the day, isn't it? Yeah. So every every day that I go in and add more, there's a couple more. Like the, the list keeps getting longer. So, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see when it gets done because they're still they're still recruiting field commanders and lieutenants as they move along here. Uh, and they're bringing them in in real time. They're building their corporate army and they're continuing to keep it freshly stocked of people that will usurp your countries, your democracies, your elected processes, your elected officials. They're undermining it and they're doing it out in the open. This is what we're going to have to deal with. Anyway, all right. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and jump out of here a few minutes early. I do apologize, uh, but we did get a late start tonight, so uh, we are going to have to go. For those of you who'd like to send any feedback to us, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by dropping us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Thank you for being here this evening, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a fantastic evening.